0: We'll go ahead and dismiss our kids. We're back with Lee. Lee celebrates Father's Day every Sunday. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have, a, I have a, a stiff sermon today, because it's printed on cardstock. I don't know how I managed that, but I did. We continue on in Mark, and we've got, really gotten to a place. We're, we're making a, we're, Mark is uh, changing our path a little bit. This is a pivotal part, in fact, the pivot point in the gospel of Mark, what we're going to go through today. And it should be the pivot point of life for every individual. At some point, everyone has to say, uh, I'm following Jesus or I'm not. Uh, because we all know that there's no way in the world to avoid Him. I mean, He is the pivot point in history. Uh, people that have, have heard anything have heard about Jesus almost anywhere in the world. There's, there's very few places where his name is not known. The gospel may not be quite clear. But Jesus changed everything when he came. And, of course, last week we, we looked at this where Peter made a confession about who he was. He says, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one of God. And everybody understood that when the anointed one of God showed up, that everything was going to change. And Jesus says, you're right. Everything's going to change. I'm about to go to a cross and die for your sin. And you're never going to have to worry about it again as long as you believe in me, which is not the change they were looking for. And so Peter says, no way. Kind of like, that isn't happening on my watch. And Jesus basically has to call him down as Satan to get him to understand what's going on here. This, what I'm telling you is the way of God and what you're describing is not the way of God. In fact, It deceives folks to believe that I've come to conquer anything. I've come to be conquered in order to conquer. I've come to come under the weight of your sin so that by my glory I can undo it, throw it back upon itself so that when I do what I say I'm going to do, I won't just bring justice against the evil one, the deceiver, the liar that has done all this work. I will undo everything that he's ever done. Life will be rearranged. There's a song right here that says, "My heart will never be the same." It's rearranged. Jesus is saying, "I'm undoing everything." You talk about being born again. This is going to be a life that is completely new and 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 totally of God. And so when he sets all this right, then he starts calling the crowd together because earlier, all the way through Mark, you hear him say don't tell anybody about what I'm doing. Don't tell them about the healings. Don't do this. Don't do that. And now, when, it, when the message has finally arrived and he is saying who he is and what he's come to do, he starts talking openly and calls everybody to listen. And then he gives them this challenge, a very real challenge for each and every one of us. He says, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? Or can anyone give in exchange? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father and with the holy angels. And then He goes on to give this reassurance. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. And then we go into this whole other scene that we'll get to later in our journey. So he calls the crowd together with his disciples. So it's kind of like he's he pulled Peter off to the side and took him behind the woodshed and said, You gotta understand what's going on here, son. And Peter keeps his mouth shut after that. He's already learned that he needs to pay attention. So nothing has been wasted on Peter except now he's has got to kind of get that yeast to the pharisees and the sadducees out of his system and jesus helps him with that he helps all of us with that he helps all of us come overcome that that religious prejudice that we have against him in our greatest efforts to show him our love we develop all sorts of wrong ideas about what it means to love jesus He helps us overcome those things. And so then he calls the rest of the disciples together, and he calls the crowd together. So uh, you get this picture in your mind. He's kind of by himself, and he says, come here, come listen. And everybody's crowding him around him. Before, he's tried to keep the crowds away. Now they're crowding in around him. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, and in this we have the challenge of a choice. If anyone wants to, want means want. It, It doesn't mean anything else in the Greek or the English. If you want to do something, you're going to do it. If you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it. If you want a Hershey's chocolate bar, well, by god, we gave you one today. But if you don't want one, you don't want one. Want means want. He says, if anybody wants to follow me. So he's laying down a choice right away. If anyone wants to follow after me. You notice in this first, this first verse, in this, pair, in this section, and I'm going to go over it in detail and then look at the other's. As support to verse 34. If anyone wants to follow me or come after me, it means if you want to go the same way as I'm going. Now this could have been just, you see somebody walking down the road and you follow them down the road. That would be one way for this to be said. But in the New Testament, the word follow never is that shallow. Very rarely is it that shallow. There's a couple of places where the blind man follows Jesus after he... He heals him. There's some indication that he just went along with the crowd. But when Jesus uses the word, he's saying, if you want to come after me, meaning that if you want to have some part of me, if you want to go the way that I'm going. And so in that, there's a very, there's a very real call to us. <laughs> if, if we want to come after Jesus, then there's only one choice that we have to make. Then we want to go the way that he is going. So Jesus defines the way that we are going. Jesus determines where we go, how we go, when we go, what it means when we get there, as we go. All of those things are determined by Jesus if we simply say, yeah, I'm going to go the way that he's going. But it also means, I've decided that I want my life to be like his. That's some of what he means here. He uses this word twice. One at the beginning of the passage, one at the end. The form at the end is much more in depth as to what it means inwardly. But it's a decision you make. Yeah, I want to begin this journey with him. I'm on board with Jesus. So he says, let him, and then that let him would precede the next three ideas. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. And let him follow me. And these are in a very specific and meaningful order for Jesus and for us to understand. When it says let him, that means that we let the person decide that there is only one choice that they can make. If you just say, I'm going to go with Jesus, then there's only one choice left to make, and I'm going to do it the way that He is doing it. And, of course, Jesus made a choice. Second, the, well, Philippians 2 helps us understand this. We all know the passage where it describes that we're to be like Jesus and with all, what, humility, where he came and he emptied himself of all his glory, that he came and he lived as a man and he suffered a death, even death on the cross, so that... As he, would, as he comes out of that, every knee would bow and confess that he's Lord. Jesus made a choice in that. And so as we go, it says, let him, we make a choice. He chose to love us, to confront our sin, to confront suffering and death, and to turn it back on itself so that it would never destroy us as long as we follow him. And believe in him. So when we read this passage, we read it and we think, okay, yeah, there's three things we got to do. But when we say, I am going to do what Jesus did, then we're saying something that really ought to cut to our core. More than words that we can just read on a page, is what I'm saying. We've got to ingest them. We've got to have meaning. (laughs) And so the first thing that we do is that it says that we deny himself, that we are to deny ourselves. What does deny mean? It means to just say no to yourself. Okay, so I'm packing around about 20 pounds too much. I'm saying no to the Hershey bar today. Although it was very nice that Bam remembered. There's some things in life that we have to deny, but they're, they're not good for us, right? When you deny something, you can, there's two ways to deny something. Deny something that is, that is going to hurt you. You're not going to let it be a part of your life. Or someone says something falsely about you, you deny it. Or you, you tragically, if someone says the truth about you, you deny it, okay? The idea is that those things we don't want a part of our life. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you don't want you as a part of your life. Wow. That's the first thing. You don't want you as a part of your life. If you're going to follow me, that's going to mess you up. I've got other plans for you. Now, you can either stick with your plans or you can stick with my plans, Jesus says. But you've got to deny yourself if you're going to follow me. My plans for you are better. My plans for you are better. But you have to let go of that old self. We have to say no to ourselves as Christ said no to His glory. If He can do that, certainly we can say no to the things that are corruptive in our life. He said that if we can do that, we will be following Him. So it's it's the beginning place to go. In fact, he's, He even says that if you're going to say no to yourself, you've got to be saying yes to something. You can't just live as a hollow shell. Uh, you may remember the parable that he, he tells where uh, the man, you know, he's got all these evil spirits in him, and so he, he he runs them out, and he sweeps his house clean, and he doesn't replace it with anything good for his life, no other, no other purpose, nothing godly in his life. He's just an empty shell, and the old spirit comes back and says, hey, man, this house is all clean. I think I'll move back in with seven more of my best buddies and make life really worse for this guy. So if you say no to yourself, then you still got to say yes to something, and that's what this means to follow Jesus. In the midst of denying, you are saying, I don't want any more of my life, and I only want his life. I'm saying no to me, and I'm saying yes to him, and I'm trusting that that's going to be better. And it is better. Everything about our lives is made whole in Jesus. We just have to be willing to say no to ourselves. One of the things that that allows us to do is to live and flourish in the midst of just about anything. In fact, we can live and flourish in the face of everything. If life is good, we celebrate that it is good. If we are in the pit with ashes heaped on our heads and sackcloth draped around us, Well, Christ has been there too. All of life can have meaning and flourish when we deny ourselves and embrace Him. In fact, that's what take up up the cross means. If we deny ourselves, we are done with ourselves. And now what happens? Well, tied deeply to your faith in Jesus is His own suffering. In fact, how do you really recognize and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is because he has suffered for your sake. And so we find in the midst of that, that our suffering has a meaning that it would have never had without him because he has already been there in my place for the very thing that I am dealing with now. And the very thing that I suffer with now is of glory to, to Jesus because he wears it as a badge of honor that he has suffered and died And been raised on your behalf. It is a part of who He is. It's a part of how Hebrews describes that the Son of God was perfected as Savior because He went through all that He went through for you and for me so that we could have the life that we're (coughs) capable of having with Him. All of that because we take up our life of suffering, not as a thing to be avoided but as a life that can bring glory and honor to the one who has rescued us from it ultimately. The rabbis of the day would ask their disciples to take up the the yoke of the law or the weight of the law or the weight of the commandments. And Jesus says, I've got one better. I want you to take up the weight of your own death to self. I want you to take up your own weight under that suffering. And when you do, there I am to carry it with you. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Where all of a sudden you've, you've tried hard to deal with it on your own. And at every turn it feels like, uh, well, my favorite illustration of this, and some of you won't even understand this. It's, it's really sad, but it's an old Uncle Remus tale about Bear Rabbit and Bear Fox and the Tar Baby. And Bear Rabbit sets up his tar baby, and he's going to trap Bear Fox. And so Bear Fox comes along, and there's this thing there, and it's, it's kind of making a silly grin at him, and he don't like it. So he, he punches it in the face, and he's stuck in the tar. And so he tries to get out and punches again, and he's stuck in the tar. He sticks his feet in and try to pull his fist out, and he's stuck in the tar. And everything that old Bear Fox tries to do to make it better, it just gets worse. Only in this story, nobody comes along to help him. Bear Rabbit comes jumping out of the thicket laughing at him. That's how it usually happens with us when we do it on our own. But in the world with Jesus, we find ourselves in that point. And because he's been there and he's experienced and he knows it already, he says, Let me have it. If you'll just give it to me for what it is, let me have it. And we do. And then all at once, we're able to move through it. And the burden is really light, he says. He says, my burden is light. These other burdens are so heavy, my burden is light. Just let me carry it with you. And he does. That's part of taking up our cross. Because the cross that he asks us to take is his cross. Not exactly the same. The cross that he bore under the weight of death save the whole world from sin the cross that we carry under the weight of our own sorrows and pain and suffering he carries with us just so that we may in the end say praise be to God for such a savior for one that loves us so much that he's willing to carry this with me it's how we know that he loves it's the full expression of welcome and then he goes on to say you deny take up your cross and you follow now this is a self commitment to Christ that breaks all other ties in your life and this is hard if you could deny yourself you're getting something out of that your old self is gone you're rid of all the bad stuff you're embracing something that's, that's really good Jesus. You can take up your cross. Well, that's a good thing. I can't carry the weight of all of this anyway. Jesus is going to be there with me. And I can do that. But to follow him, to say to everything else, he's first. Now we're giving up some things that we may care deeply about in our life. There may be some values that we've developed in our life that have really made life quite comfortable for us. Maybe it's wealth maybe it's possessions maybe it's having free time that means more to you than anything but now Jesus is saying you follow me some of that's going to be gone in fact all of it's going to be gone I'm going to when I baptize you I'm baptizing all of that too it's going to change you may have a lot of time but you're going to live it for me you may have possessions but they're going to be mine that's got to change there may be some beliefs that you have about God. Well, maybe, maybe God's just a person in my life that I need to help me do what I want. I've, I've got some plans for my life, and uh, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God to help me with my plans. Well, when you, when you follow Jesus, He might just look you in the eye and say, you know what, your plans are filthy rags to me. We're getting rid of all of that. I've got something new for you. And let me tell you, the spirit that you've lived in all these years, You're not going to really embrace and appreciate this at the beginning. It's going to be some hard days for you to make some changes about how you think. But Paul says, the first step toward proper worship of God is to renew our minds and our spirit. You may have to change some beliefs. You have to change some concepts about life, the general idea about life and about God. We live in a world today, I just mentioned it, I'll mention it again, I'll probably mention a lot more. We live in a world today where people in the church and out of the church somehow or another view God as an instrument of provision. We were talking about in our class this morning, God is our, um, He He, He is our assistant in life, gives us what we need and want. God may take everything you have in order for you to truly be able to follow him. And I'm not saying that some hyperbole. There are people that have served him and honored him their whole life and he's taken everything from them. Why? I can't tell you why. But if you're going to follow him, you better be ready to follow him. You know what's wrong with the church today? There's a lot of people that want what God's got for them, but they don't want to follow Him. They'll show up, they'll show up in churches all over today, all over. Preacher, give me something I need. i a I got something in my life I need. And, and you know what you wind up doing? Preaching generalities to people's needs. You never get to the heart of the gospel. You never get to the heart of God at all. You're just trying to preach to generalities. Because you can't preach to every need. You know how frustrating it is to try to show up here and try to preach to all your needs? There's no way in the world to do it. You're going to leave empty and broken. Somebody is. Somebody might leave walking out on air. Somebody's going to leave with their head down. I didn't get anything from God today. That's because your concept of God is all wrong. When you follow Jesus, it's going to be right. No one knows the Father but the Son, Jesus says in John. If you want to know this God that you want so much from, you better follow Jesus. Change your whole concept of him. The other thing that we have to decide is going to change is these relationships, human relationships. I'm going to use Shelby as an example real quick. She's smiling. Thank you. We were talking about job yesterday, and we were somewhere for her to go to work. She says, well, so-and-so, they don't like working there. That's, that's terrible. Okay, so we did this. We did this for a pretty good while going down the road. I mean, and, uh, and every time, oh, well, this one says it, that, and this one says that. And, and so uh, ultimately, it was somebody else making the decisions for her about these places. She wasn't even making a decision herself. Somebody had already made it up for her about what they were experiencing in that. And see, when you begin to follow Jesus, the first inclination is to go to somebody that you, that, you, um, that you know is already doing that. And you try to make your experience match theirs as that being the right way. Right? Yeah. Start reading all the books and doing all stuff. That's not how we do that. When when we follow Jesus, the relationships that we have that we think are going to help us shape that experience do not matter anymore. You've got one relationship. Every, Every other relationship is built out of that one. Makes sense out of the one relationship. What's the one relationship? Jesus. Yeah, you and Jesus. Before you know it, You begin to see, oh, hey, that person—they really are, they really do understand what this is all about—and you've got a comrade that you can walk with. And then you see this other person, you say, "Man, I'm I'm experiencing some things that might be helpful." And so there's a there's another place of fellowship there. You don't begin to judge and threaten. Oh, they don't like me and all that. It all begins to be a, a point of fellowship with one another. But, it's, but it stems and is motivated by Christ. That's one way that it means to follow Him. When He has that first position in life, then everything else that we experience is defined and experienced not by us only, but through the relationship that we have with Him. So every love, every suffering, every sacrifice our very sense of life and salvation is experienced because we have this great and marvelous relationship with Him because we follow. We are committed. Now, following is never a concept in the New Testament. Nobody ever just thought about following. I think I'll follow. It's not how it worked. When you followed, there was action involved kind of like love. Love is not a noun, it's a verb. Following is definitely a verb, right? So when you decide that you're going to follow, there's some activity that is involved in this that everyone is able to recognize and see. So now you're being, you're, you, you, you everything that you do, everything that you say is being uh, reinforced by what you are experience them from those who see you and experience you and some are going to say you are a jesus freak get out of here and others are going to say how wonderful your depth and breadth of your faith i want to know more about that but everybody's going to respond because jesus is in the middle of it and when jesus is around you got to make a choice if people haven't made a choice about your life about who you are you're not with jesus If you kind of live in this lukewarm, wishy-washy, middle-of-the-road deal where where nobody can really decide what, what your faith means to you, you are totally out of touch with Jesus. That's what this means. But when you're following Him and with Him, people know that you know who you are. And you know what? They like a person like that. In that respect, they're a lot like God. The the ones that are all made in His image. Nobody likes lukewarm. (laughs) Yuck. But everybody appreciates the person that is sincere and real. And if the church would be sincere and real in their everyday life, each and every moment, we wouldn't be reading headlines we're reading today. You wouldn't have preachers in parts of this country fearful of opening their mouths about certain subjects of sexuality. None of that would be possible in this country because everyone would have to decide, I'm either going to, the witness and testimony of that life, I want that, or I don't want it. But at least they will respect you. The problem with the world and the church today is they no longer respect No longer respect us. And I don't want to get political right now, but I will one for one 30 second period. You can see it coming. You can see the whole thing coming over this issue of abortion. The world is looking for a stance from the church. It's going to be the acid test for the twenty first century. I promise you. You got to decide. You gotta decide. It's the law of the land. you got to decide. Anyway, the rest of these verses qualify what we're speaking of here. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. So whoever wants to save his life, <coughs> meaning that you will choose not to deny yourself, to not commit to any suffering and death that may come as a result of a different way of viewing life or to your self motivations if you're not willing to let those things go you're going to ultimately lose your life on the day that Jesus appears again in his glory and with the and with the angels of heaven but he says whoever loses his life meaning to do all these things that are mentioned in verse 34 for my sake what's that mean that means your testimony about your life includes Jesus Whenever you do this for my sake, meaning that what I have been, uh, who I am and what I do matters to you. And the good news. Why would Mark, Mark's the only one that includes that in all the gospels. For my sake and the good news. What's the good news? Jesus came preaching and saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is near. So if you're doing this for my sake and for the fact that you're willing to say to others, the kingdom of heaven is near to you draw near to it, then your life is secure. And I know what you're thinking. I don't have to do anything for my salvation. No, you're right. You don't have to do anything for it. But once you have it, there's a lot you've got to do. We don't like to hear about that much either. I just want to sit back. I want to ride in a limousine car all the way to heaven. No. It's not what it is. He goes on, For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? Look, you can choose to live under your own terms and gain the whole world. You can have everything the world offers, living it under your terms, but it'll cost you your life. That's what he's saying. If that's what you want, hey, you can have it. So you can see you can have whatever you want, is Jesus' point here. It's your choice. Who can, can, what, what, what can anyone give in exchange for his life? I mean, what sane man would give anything in exchange for his life? That's really the question. Yet people every day will trade their life for passing pleasures, for passing power, possessions. We see it every day. We know people. We know people that are living wrong, don't we? Don't we know people that are just plainly, their whole concept and motivations of life is so out of skew and in the previous verse before it's saying that if you've surrendered if you're willing to lose your life then you're speaking the truth to those people that's what he's saying in that previous passage if you're willing to lose your life for Jesus that means that you are declaring him and that the kingdom of heaven is near to these people but if you're just letting them whistle by the graveyard guess what? You wrote the tune. And there's going to be a reckoning. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. So Jesus is saying this like he says in Matthew, whatever you measure out for others is going to be measured out for you. This is an idea of justice that extends all the way back to nearly the beginning of, of Scripture. And so we don't like that idea. You mean what I measure out is going to be measured against me? Well, Jesus is already, he, he is, he is taken care of the ultimate, right? Whatever was measured out against you for your sin, he's paid that cost. But you don't get to do that. You see what I'm saying? You see what he's saying? He's the only one that can be a Savior and make all of those things right. But there's a point in our life where we have to realize that our lives mean something to God and the way that we live them means something to God and this is the way that He measures their meaning. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Don't we all want to be judged in some sort of way in the end so that He can say to us, well done, good and faithful servant? Isn't that part of the deal that we want? Well, the way that we do that is this. Don't be ashamed of Him. Because there's no hope if you're ashamed of Jesus. He's coming. He's coming back. The Son of Man is the figure in Scripture that sets everything right. And He's coming back (coughs) in all of His power, And His salvation work, His Savior work is completed, and He comes back as the judge. Oh, no. And you can't say, I wasn't expecting that. It's pretty clear. It's pretty clear in Scripture. So, 1 John 4, 17, my my favorite verse. So if you want to stand confident on the day of judgment, how do you do it? Semicolon. He says, in this world, be like Jesus. Isn't that remarkable how simple it all comes down to? He says all of this. I've said all of this. I know I've taken a little too much of your time this morning, but I had a lot to say. He says all of this, and then 1 John four seventeen just kind of sums it up. If you want to have confidence in your, in your faith life, if you want to have some real confidence before, before Christ, in this world, be like Him. The activity of your life is Jesus. You've surrendered your life to Jesus. You've denied yourself. You've taken up your cross. You're following him. You are like Jesus. He says, that's where we get our confidence from. Today and each and every day beyond this. And that's what this passage calls us to, to be like Jesus. Let me tell you, if you're relying on a preacher or a pastor or books or television or the internet or the Twitter or the Facebook or whatever you do, to get your information, it doesn't measure up to this. If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to be in this. This is this is your this is the thing that pastors your life right here. See, I'm your pastor as best I can, but this word is with you always. This is where it's at. I want us to pray this morning. I want us to pray in the the depth of our souls today that we're living this life that we've claimed to live in its utter fullness. And I know I've been long today, and it's why. There's There's no message more important than this one for our lives. This is it. This is where the water meets the wheel, the rubber meets the road, all of that stuff, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow you. Let's bow our